The year was 1924, almost 100 years ago. And a young lad by the name of Jack Sundin was standing in line with his father because the young boy was about four and a half years old. They were standing in line inside the White House, waiting to meet President Calvin Coolidge. As they neared him, Jack noticed that President Coolidge said something to each visitor who came by in line, and as they shook hands, he spoke to each one. <sighs> Pretty soon, that thrilling moment arrived, and Jack stepped up and put his small hand into the hand of the president. Then the president leaned down and he said words that Jack said he will always remember. Move along. <laughs> After you think about that for a while, it'll really become a tremendous story that you might even repeat somewhere. Because sometimes our expectation just amounts to that. A pat on the back, a handshake, move along. One night a wife found her husband standing over their newborn baby's crib and silently she stood away, away from him and watched him. And as he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, she saw in his face this, this mixture of emotions, disbelief, doubt, Delight, amazement, enchantment, even skepticism, probably. He would stand back, shake his head, and say, amazing, amazing, while smiling from ear to ear. Touched by his unusual display and the deep emotion it aroused, her eyes glistened, got watery, as she slipped her arms around him. A penny for your thoughts, she whispered in his ear. Isn't it amazing, he replied, when you take the time and really look close. Isn't it amazing how, how can anyone make a crib for $45.99? After the assassination of President Kennedy, his young son, John Jr., asked William Haddad, an associate of JFK's, he asked him, are you a daddy? Mr. Haddad told him that he was. In response, little John John said, then, then, then will you throw me up in the air? A man came home from work one night, really tired. It was late. He'd had one of those days. You've had one. Maybe you had five last week. I don't know. Tired. Irritated. And he found his little boy in the five, six-year-old range, waiting there right at the door for Dad to come home. 
Dad recognized him, and the little fellow said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? The dad said, sure, what is it? How much money do you make an hour? Dad got mad and said, that's none of your business. Why do you want to know that? Oh, I just want to know, Dad. Please tell me how much do you make an hour? The dad, he wanted to go sit down and relax. He didn't, he didn't want to answer these questions. Well, if you must know, I make $20 an hour. The little boy sighed and bowed his head, looking up. He said, well, then, Daddy, can I borrow $10? The father flew off the handle. If this is the only reason you wanted to know how much money I make is that you can hit me up for some cash to go buy some stupid toy, you march yourself straight to your room and you go to bed. You're so selfish. I work long, hard hours, I'll have you know, every day, and I don't have time for this. Quietly, the little boy went to his room, shut the door. Dad sat down, started to get even madder about the nerve of the little boy. How dare he ask questions only to get some money out of him. After an hour or so, the man had calmed down and he started to think that maybe, maybe he was a little bit hard on the boy. Maybe his son really needed the money for something important. He didn't know. And so the father went up to his boy's room and opened the door and said, are you asleep, son? No, no, Daddy, I'm awake. Well, I've been thinking, son, maybe I was too hard on you earlier. It's been a long day. I kind of took it out on you. I'm sorry. Here's that 10 bucks you asked for. So the little boy sat straight up, beaming, face aglow. Oh, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Then reaching under his pillow, he pulled out a wad of crumpled up bills. The dad, seeing the boy already had some money, started to get angry again. The little boy slowly counted out his money, and he looked up at his dad, and the dad is now by you. I think he could be at the point where we would say, he's ticked off. He demanded to know what was going on. Why did you want more money if you already had some money? The little boy replied, because I didn't have enough, dad. But now I do, Daddy. Now I do. I have $20 now, and I'd like to buy an hour of your time. Men, think about it. Let's set sail for the Scripture. If you have your Bible with you, we're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm just going to read two verses with you. But they're powerful, powerful verses. They're more than just an introduction or a salutation to a letter. They're much, much more than that. And I read, and read with me, feel free. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, read these words, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. A message today entitled, Don't Burn the Cargo. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. May it be empowered by your Holy Spirit and delivered likewise. Lord, as it comes, may we be inspired and may that inspiration uh, turn to action and may that action all be such that it redounds to the glory and praise of you and you alone, our God. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a group in Great Britain called Fathers Direct, and Duncan Fisher is one of the leading figures of that, of that group. He said, and I quote, The traditional Father's Day is outmoded. It is modeled on Mother's Day. <laughs> the notion that dads need a day to put their feet up, be waited on, and spend time apart from their children is ridiculous. Our chief concern as fathers is lack of time, L-A-C-K, lack of time with our children because of work and other commitments, both at work, in the community, and wherever. You know that, and that's the end of that quote, and you know that quote reminds me of one that Dr. James Dobson made some years ago? I love this quote. He said, children spell love, T-I-M-E. And that's so true. Do you know that the tradition of Father's Day is owed to an American woman by the name of Sonora Smart, who was the daughter of a Civil War veteran named William Jackson Smart? He returned home from the war, Civil War, having fought in the 1862 Battle of Pea Ridge, that's in Arkansas, during the war. He was a farmer who lived near Spokane, Washington. He and his wife, Ellen Victoria Cheek, raised a family of six children. And Ellen, the wife, died in childbirth in 1898, giving birth to her last son, Marshall. They had five boys and one daughter named Sonora. She was the firstborn, and she was 16 years old when her mother died. She helped her father raise the boys and grew to admire her father's ability, his devotion, his love as a parent because he refused to remarry and to raise his family all by himself, with her help, of course. Sonora was aware of Mother's Day, which was quickly becoming a tradition, and thought, fathers like hers deserve a day of national recognition. I'm not sure she was the first daughter to buy her dad a tie for Father's Day. I don't know. But the tradition of Father's Day is credited to her. No matter where you look, I researched it even lately, again, and that you, you put it in uh, just on Google, any, any search engine, and her name will come up immediately. Over the years, her campaign became what is now our modern-day Father's Day. Although it wasn't set on June 5th, that was her father's birthday, it was fixed to be the third Sunday in June. In fact, in 1972, President Nixon established a permanent national observance of Father's Day to be held on the third Sunday of June each year. The first Father's Day was celebrated June the 19th, 1910, in Spokane. Sonora Smart Dodd, now she was, was honored at the World's Fair, because it was in Spokane, in 1974. Sonora Louise Smart Dodd died on March 22nd, 1978, at the tender age of 96. 
and rests today in Greenwood Memorial Terrace, Spokane, Washington. There you have it. There you have it. The origins of our modern Father's Day. Now what speaks out to me is that it was a daughter, not a son, who pushed to create Father's Day. And I know that might sound a little chauvinistic, but I thought it was kind of neat that a woman wanted men honored in a special way. And I can also go on to say that I'm pretty sure that wouldn't happen in our society today. So, Dad, we, we have Father's Day. Just be glad we do. Now, trying to tackle these big special holidays, especially from Scripture, is a real challenge because none of these things existed back then. But I want to remind you that the family certainly existed, and, and, and it thrived. So what I want to do today is look at a couple fathers from the Bible and see what lessons their lives teach us as fathers, as parents, as leaders today. So first, I want to go to a little area there in Palestine, a little town and a little family, and a father there whose name is Joseph. He was Jesus' stepfather. He played a huge role in Jesus' life. And we do well to examine all his contributions. Now, firstly, he was a God-fearing man. He trusted an angelic messenger. Just think about this. You might just say out of nowhere, an angel appears to him, gives him a message. Being a God-fearing man, Joseph, not even really knowing what to do other than just trust the angel about the child that his fiance is carrying. He didn't bring public shame on Mary. He didn't claim that God had served him some injustice. I wonder how many of us would be so willing to have our reputation and our family name destroyed, literally dragged through the mud by the town gossips, and I'm sure Joseph had to suffer all that. He put his life, his very life at risk when he became haunted and hunted by King Herod and had to flee into a foreign land. He had to go to Egypt and stay in hiding away from his family, away from his friends, away from his hometown. And even later, when he finally returns to his homeland, he finds his oldest son, Jesus, is a lot different. Jesus had his head in the scriptures. He finds the company of the teachers in the synagogue more interesting than playing with friends his own age. On one occasion, Jesus even goes missing for three days from the caravan that had gone in and then was coming back uh, from the feast days. And they find him teach. When they finally found him after three days, he's teaching the elders in the temple. Joseph showed incredible trust in God and incredible patience to step back and let Jesus become the person he had to be. We do not read of whether Joseph disciplines Jesus 
But I imagine there was some conversation about that little time where he was missing for three days, giving his parents fits, and maybe a little conversation by Joseph that went something like, son, next time at least leave a note for your mother. Not me, but for your mother. I'm sure Joseph also swelled with pride as he witnessed the spiritual growth and the wisdom of Jesus and how that must have been a little bit of sweet revenge for how the people had treated him years ago when he left Galilee region. Joseph must have enjoyed watching Jesus stump the self-righteous religious leaders. Once they looked down their noses at him for marrying Mary, even though she was pregnant already, and he had, a, he had a ready, lawful excuse to call the whole thing off. In addition, he must have had high hopes of Jesus taking over the family business someday. Then how those hopes must have been dashed as he realized that wasn't going to happen. And all that time that he had spent teaching Jesus may have been wasted. Or was it? You see, Jesus himself tells us that as God's son, he is going, never thought of it this way before, to prepare a place for us. That in his father's house are many mansions or many rooms. We hear him say, John 14, verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Have you ever thought about this, folks? Have you ever really stopped to think? Could it be that the time spent with Joseph, his, his stepfather, in that carpenter shop was more valuable than Joseph could ever have imagined? Makes you wonder. But of course, Jesus had another calling on his life, and it's a much higher calling. We don't really know too much more about Joseph. We don't hear anything more about Joseph. He seems to kind of slowly disappear from the storyline after a while. He's not present when Jesus is at the wedding in Cana. We read that in John chapter 2. He was there with his mother. But from Joseph, we learn some good things. And we must not leave Joseph, Joseph until we enumerate those things. First, we learn from Joseph to trust God. And guys, we also learn from Joseph to trust our wife's spiritual experience and insight. We learn from Joseph, willingly surrender ourselves to God's purpose and design for our lives. We also learn from Joseph to teach our children what we know about God. We learn from Joseph to allow our children to experience God for themselves. You see, Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus. And we also learn from Joseph that we should trust that God will lead our children in their spiritual search. And so that's Joseph stepfather to Jesus. See, this isn't just Father's Day. This is also Stepfather's Day. 
Secondly, you're going to notice that today's scripture is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and it talks about Paul and Timothy, not about Joseph and Jesus, and that's on purpose. You see, Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. Joseph was a stepfather in the same way, listen carefully, that Paul was not a biological father to Timothy. The interesting thing is that both men consider themselves to be a father to the young men in their lives whom they grew to love as their very own. Now, in our modern society, there are many, many, many fathers who have children that are not their biological children. And what we see is that many of these fathers are doing a wonderful job raising those children while others have abandoned that privilege to strangers. There is a growing systemic problem in America today, and that is the need for a father in a child's life. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, some 24 million children in America, one out of three, live without their biological father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all the societal ills facing America today. A very sobering fact. Father absent homes. We know that the absence of a father in a child's life negatively impacts that young life. And it is so easy to get angry. It's so easy to point the finger at the men who have abandoned their family responsibilities. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But, 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 listen here. Let's not forget this fact also, that a father doesn't have to physically leave the home to be absent in his children's lives. You look at me like you didn't understand what I just said. And what that was, was a father doesn't have to physically leave the home to be absent in his children's lives or to impact them in a negative, harmful fashion. I don't know how to define it, but I'm going to just say this. If you come from a traditional home, and you have known and been raised by your biological father, you need to thank God for that fact. In the name of Jesus and to his glory, let's give God a hand clap of praise. If you are part of a blended family, thank God for blended families. And you have a stepfather... You need to know that your stepfather's capacity to love you is no less than your biological father's could have been, and that like Jesus, ha, listen, you share, listen, you share a special relationship with a very special man that God has put in your life. Let's have a hand clap of praise for that truth. You have not been shortchanged. You did not get a raw deal when it comes to who your father is. So sit up, look up, perk up, show up, and lift up the name of your heavenly father. You have, 
You're in, you're part of the forever family. And listen to this. Know this, that as far as God's concerned, you are, as Paul says to Timothy, you, 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 some of you read it with me just a moment ago, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, you are a true son, true son, or true daughter of God. This Father's Day, I want you to look to your heavenly Father to help you sort out your place, your purpose, your hopes, your dreams as his son and his daughter. Amen. Amen. Take a few minutes today to reflect and consider the good things your earthly father has done for you. Have you ever done that? I say do it even if the relationship is not what it should be or maybe not what it could have been. Do it anyway. It will, it will just absolutely surprise you. Son, daughter, look to what the man tried to do rather than what he failed to do. And try to understand that you too, maybe one day will have the opportunity and the honor to parent. And you too will be in a position to receive honor or dishonor for the kind of parent that you become. And oh yes, when it comes to spiritual things, try to be like Paul. Because while he was away from his child, he did his best to stay in touch. See him writing letters there. And he let him know what was going on in his life. And then like Joseph of old, set a good example and encourage your children to discover God and to walk with God. Stephen Kendrick outlines seven roles that a father plays in the life of his family. If you're a note taker, you should get these. Provider, number one. That's biblical. The roles of a father. Protector, leader, teacher, helper, encourager, and friend. I thought it was interesting that friend was at the last of the <laughs> roles. Provider. Protector. Leader. Teacher. Helper. Encourager. And friend. If you'll allow me a moment of nostalgia, I want to just say one more time publicly, I've said it many times over the last 49 years. My father fulfilled all of these roles and did it admirably. He remains my hero to this day. Well, with one slight exception. He wrote me a Dear John letter. You have a picture of it right there, but I have the letter with the one and four cent Canadian stamp on that. Postmark November the 4th, 1966. I'm in my third year of university, and I'm doing well. There wasn't one course I was not failing. I mean, I'm slamming it across the board. I didn't miss any. Well, I pulled out of that year pretty well, but by November... Somehow, why? They didn't even have communication in 1966. 
How did that all get all the way back 250 miles to where my father lived, that place I used to call home? After the letter, I wasn't sure where home was going to be. I don't know anything in my life that's been more of an inspiration than that letter. I could open it, and I could read it all to you, but you'd all be sobbing and weeping, and it's so... My dad was a quartermaster sergeant in the, in the Army in World War II. He grew up on a farm. He left school after the sixth grade. He went to work in the woods. He was a tough guy. I, read, I even underlined some stuff. I, I like to, I like to talk to him someday. Okay, here it is. Please don't laugh. Oh, I see. Yeah, this was right after the uh, first term, first semester grades came in. They must have sent a copy to parents or something. <laughs> I don't remember sending them. Uh, It starts off, Dear Bob, I think he meant me. He had a brother, Bob, but I think... And it ends with love, your dad. That's all you're going to (laughs) hear. 1966. Same envelope, that's original, you can check it with that one. I'm so blessed. Provider, protector, leader, teacher, helper, encourager, friend. I don't know which one you pick for your father. I don't know where your father stands. I don't know where you as a father, I as a father, would stand in that list of roles. But I think Stephen Kendrick was right on, even in the way he ordered those seven roles. Dad, Dad, Mom, while your children are in your home, they will be watching you as you walk and talk with God. Do it often so that you will follow, they will follow your good example and then you'll have much to celebrate on Father's Day and on Mother's Day. And Dad, don't let me hear you say, I can't do it. I just don't have it. I don't have the time. I'm a nobody. Oh, are you? Are you? I see. Well, look at our friend Moses. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. Moses spent 40 years learning he was nobody. (coughs) And Moses spent 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Remember, we can't accomplish anything without the presence and, and the purpose and the power of God Almighty working in us and living through us. A great gospel minister of a century or more ago, Clovis Chapel used to tell the story of two paddle-wheel boats, the big ones that, that uh, spent their time on the southern rivers, especially the Mississippi. Well, these two big 
paddle wheels left Memphis about the same time on a certain day, traveling down the Mississippi River, heading to New Orleans. As they traveled side by side, sailors from one vessel made a few remarks about the snail's pace of the other. Words were exchanged. Friendly challenges were made. And well, the race was on. Competition became vicious as the two boats roared through the waters of the Mississippi down to the deep south. After a while, though, one of the vessels began falling behind. Ah, not enough fuel. There had been plenty of coal for the trip, but not enough for a race. And as that boat dropped back, an enterprising young sailor took some of the ship's cargo and tossed it into the ovens. And when the sailors saw that the supplies were burning as well as the coal did, they fueled their boat with the material they'd been assigned to transport. They ended up winning the race. But they burned their cargo. Parents, God has entrusted very valuable cargo to us too. Children, our spouse, friends, and our job is to do our part in seeing that this cargo reaches its intended destination. And with God's help, yes, 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 you can. You say, but Bob, I'm going through some struggles. I'm going through bad times. I get discouraged. I have terrible seasons of doubt. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote it. It's my favorite. And my favorite gospel artist, Linda Randall, sings it. I could listen to her sing it every day. It's called God on the Mountain. God on the Mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, He'll make them right. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. Because the God of the day is still God in the night. For the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. And when things go wrong, he'll make them right. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. Because the God of the day is still God in the night. Yes, 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 the God of the day is still God in the night. Dads, I love you. Precious fathers, dear stepfathers, and all parents, young and old alike, I love you. I want to sound one more bell here. 
America, hear this. You are moving nicely down the river. You are carrying something extremely valuable, of inestimable value. Heed this note of warning one last time. Don't burn the cargo. 